And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about infertility and adoption. Today we're going to be talking about the role of emotions in treating infertility. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Infertility and Adoption Education and Support Nonprofit, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. One of the things we do here at Creating a Family is create resources and content for the patient community. Uh, One resource that I think you might really enjoy is a multimedia guide that we did on how to choose an infertility clinic. We included a lot of resources in there, questions to ask, um, opinions and comments from uh, other infertility patients on what was important to them. We have Q&As with experts, and one of the best things we have in there, in my opinion, is a really thorough assessment of how to utilize the infertility clinic statistics. Uh, It's uh, not all statistics are equal, and uh, we went through and with screenshots and and screencasts captured how to walk and walked you through how to assess the uh, SART and CDC statistics on infertility clinic success rates. Um, I think you will really enjoy it. To get to the multimedia guide, you can go to our website, creatingafamily.org, and once there, hover over the word resources and then click on e-guides, and you will find it uh, right there. One of the things we uh, also do at Creating a Family is this radio show. It is weekly, and we utilize the podcast model. That way you can listen whenever and wherever you want. It also means that you can subscribe to the podcast, and when you subscribe, the you see each show will pop up in your phone or whatever device it is you're using, your tablet, your phone, or even your computer, uh, the, uh, the that week's episode. Then you can make a decision whether to stream it, download it, or just discard it. Uh, it's a real handy way of knowing uh, without you having to actively go to the uh, uh, to our page on either iTunes or wherever you're listening. Um, we've got uh, a guide now for how to subscribe, and you can find it on the radio page of our website, creatingafamily.org. We have sponsors and supporters who help us bring you this show. One of the underwriters for this show is Faring Pharmaceutical. For women who have been undergoing fertility treatment and are still struggling to conceive, there are so many daily scenarios and interactions that take a toll on their emotions, which is the topic of today's show. There's a new app out called Ferticom. It uh, was recently released, and it was developed by the guest on today's show, Dr. Ali Domar, as well as Dr. Elizabeth Grill. It was designed specifically to help women address the many challenging emotional life situations that arise when you're struggling to conceive. It, it's based on the a lot of the information you're going to be receiving on this show, a cognitive, cognitive behavioral and relaxation techniques, and they 
looked through about I think something close to 500 different coping options that they're suggesting for over 50 specific situations that come up every single day for someone who is trying to conceive. To get more information about Ferticom, you can go to their website, which is ferticomapp.com. I'm going to spell it F-E-R-T-I-C-A-L-M-A-P-P.com. At Creating a Family, we have a number of partners whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. It's not just their generosity also, though. It's it's because they believe in our mission of providing unbiased, medically accurate information to the patient community. Uh, we, When you support them, you support us, and I really would like for you, if you're having to choose an infertility service provider, be it a clinic or a, a surrogacy agency or an attorney or whomever, please consider looking at uh, the professionals who support us. It says something uh, that they believe in the mission of education enough to support the National Infertility uh, Education and Support Nonprofit. To find these professionals, you can go to our website. I've said it a couple of times. I'll say it once more, creatingafamily.org, and hover over the word infertility, and then click on Find a Professional. And they're listed there, and their websites, you can just click on their uh, name, and it will take you directly to their website. And we would really appreciate it, you're doing that. Today, we're going to be talking about the role of emotions in treating infertility. Our guest is Dr. Allie Domar. She was the one who developed the Ferticom app. She is also a leading expert in mind-body medicine, and she is the director of the Mind-Body Center for Women's Health at Boston IVF. She is also an assistant professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive biology at Harvard Medical School. Allie has been a great friend to this show. She has been on a number of times. This is a re-airing of a show we did two years ago. Uh, It was very good then, and it will be just as good, if not better, this time. Enjoy. Welcome back, Dr. Allie Domar, to Creating a Family. Thank you so much. Well... I have been a longtime fan of your work and your books, as, actually, as our audience well knows, because I do refer to your books not, not infrequently and to enter your research. That's certainly one of the reasons that we wanted you to be one of our two special guests for our One Million Listeners Celebration. So thank you, actually, for, for, for helping us celebrate. Um, of the books you have, I've especially loved uh, Be Happy Without Being Perfect and Healing Minds, Healthy Women. And for this interview, I reread Conquering Infertility, and I, I absolutely loved it. I, I appreciate your writing style, but, and I think I appreciate it because of its frankness combined with its overall warmth. So, so thank you for your, for your books, and thank you especially as a research geek and, as some, and, and, and creating a family is, uh, tries to be the bridge between the research community and the patient community. And uh, I have, been a, have, have utilized your research frequently, and so I appreciate that as well. Um, this book, uh, Conquering Infertility, that, that it's titled Conquering Infertility, but it's mostly about conquering the stress of infertility. So that begs the question, what role does stress play in getting pregnant in general and, and with IVF specifically? It seems like infertility is inherently stressful, isn't it? So are the infertile just, just screwed because they need to be unstressed in order to get pregnant, but, but they have an extremely stressful disease? I mean, how do we reconcile that? Well, you know, obviously IVF is somewhat stressful. So if stress eradicated the, the efficacy of IVF, 
you know, no one would ever get pregnant. So there's not exactly. a clear, there's, there's not a clear relationship. But in effect, it's a chicken and egg question because infertility causes stress, and, and stress probably contributes to infertility. So I mean, there's a reproductive um, epidemiologist, you know, say that ten times fast, at Ohio <laughs> State named uh, Courtney Lynch, and she's done some really interesting research on sort of garden variety couples who toss away the birth control, and then she tracks how long it takes them to get pregnant. And what she has found is the more stressed the woman is, the longer it takes them to get pregnant. So this is actually pretty cutting-edge research that shows that stress can at least delay conception. When you look at the infertility community, you know, I like to focus a lot more on why infertility is so stressful so that people, you know, experiencing infertility don't feel so bad if they're feeling anxious or depressed or angry because, in my mind, that's a totally normal reaction to infertility. So, you know, and I can go into all the reasons why, but in general, the focus should be on why infertility, um, why women going through infertility have so much stress, and it's pretty obvious why that is. It's impossible to actually tease out whether or not stress per se impacts IVF rates because your prognosis is going to influence both your chances of getting pregnant and your mood. So if you have, you know, a 25-year-old, let's say who has blocked tubes, whose FSH is 2, when she starts her IVF cycle, she knows her prognosis is excellent. And so she's probably going to start the cycle feeling far less anxious and far less depressed because she knows and she's going to And far more optimistic, yeah. Far more optimistic. And in all likelihood, she's going to get pregnant. Now, did she get pregnant because she was not anxious or depressed? Or did she get, anxious, not, or did she get pregnant because, you know, she's 25? But if you have a, you know, a 42-year-old woman whose FSH is 20, if you assess her mood before an IVF cycle, you know, she knows her chances are not great. And so there's a very good chance that she's going to be anxious and depressed before she even starts her IVF cycle. So if she doesn't get pregnant, did she not get pregnant because she was anxious or depressed? Or did she not get pregnant because, you know, she's 42 and her FSH is too high? So you really can never, you know, unless we have people start an IVF cycle being completely blind to their prognosis, which is impossible. We're never going to actually know whether or not stress impacts treatment. Now, conversely, the only way to really tease out is let's just make the assumption that stress impacts outcome. And if you make that assumption, then if you help the woman learn ways to relieve stress, then she should increase her chances of getting pregnant. And that is true. A big meta-analysis came out at the end of January, um, which looked at 30-something studies where women going through infertility went through some kind of psychological intervention. And it was very clear that the women who went through an intervention had higher pregnancy rates, statistically significantly higher pregnancy rates. Interesting. And you've mentioned two studies, and I will... um include what I'd love to do is if you could if you have these studies if you can send them to me and what we will do is we'll summarize them and put them up on our we'll probably blog on it as well as putting it up on our we have a research section an infertility research section and we focus on things that are directly of interest to patients both of which you just mentioned in fact we'll probably combine them um, I have heard of the one that just came out in January. Um, so, yeah, if that's okay, I'll, I'll try to remind myself to um, uh, send you an email um, asking for that. So what are some of the 
physical symptoms of stress? In other words, what should people be on the lookout for in order to know if their stress levels are getting too high, assuming that there's going to be some level of stress because of your diagnosis of being infertile? But how do we know what what are the physical symptoms to be on the lookout for? Well, people can have physical symptoms, psychological symptoms, and what we call behavioral symptoms. But in terms of physical, you know, the top ten probably are insomnia, headaches, pain, back pain, fatigue, shortness of breath, palpitations, gastrointestinal symptoms, worse PMS, um, and it can make menstrual symptoms worse. So is that 10? I can't remember. But those I don't know, to be, but that's good. Those, okay, so what about the psychological? Oh, you know, when women are stressed, we tend to get sad. When men are stressed, they tend to get angry. Um, but I can tell you when I'm really stressed out, I definitely could qualify for that B word. <laughs> um, so I, I, think, I think that people differ, are different in terms of how they respond to stress. I'm going to guess that every single one of your listeners has a pretty good sense of how they feel when they're stressed. You know, the problem comes in in that when we have these physical symptoms of stress, it's our body's way of saying to us, hey, you're pushing me too hard. You need to take better care of me. But what do we do if we have insomnia or if we have headaches or we have gastrointestinal, you know, like stomach upset? We pop a pill. And so if you look at the, the top ten symptoms of stress, which I just went through, and you look at the top 10 medicines that people take, either prescription or over-the-counter, they're almost exactly 100% correlated because we don't listen to our bodies. And so we have these symptoms. You get a headache and you stop and think, huh, I wonder if I'm feeling really stressed. I wonder if I should take a walk or meditate or, you know, talk to a friend. No, we take some acetaminophen or some ibuprofen or whatever to treat the symptom. But when we're doing that, we are not addressing the underlying cause. Yeah, uh, and and I was sitting here thinking through some of the other uh, common medications, you know, proton pump inhibitors, things like that. Yep. Um, which yeah, which would also fit directly into into what you're what you're saying. Before we get off of the symptom ones, I, you had mentioned behavioral ones, behavioral symptoms as well, but you may have summed it up when you said that, you know, turning into the B word. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the, the primary um, uh, behavioral uh, symptom uh, that, uh, that that people might have as well. So, but, but before we leave talking about the symptoms, I think it's important that we should at least address when you should seek professional help because there's the – there. Um, Stress can also lead into more serious conditions, depression, and probably others as well. So what what should we, uh, as a patient community, be aware of from, at this point, we need to get help and we need to get it soon? Well, you know, as I said, I think when someone is feeling overwhelmed, when, you know, I really trust people's gut instinct. When you know you're you're just not feeling great, it really is time to talk to someone. And, and the problem is, is, is very few people going through infertility ever seek out any sort of counseling or support or a group because they feel they can handle it themselves. And the fact is, as I mentioned earlier, the research shows that women who do some kind of intervention are significantly more likely to get pregnant. And so I truly feel that everybody, you know, one thing that I've been sort of lobbying for, and I know that there's some centers around the country that do this, is every person or couple who are doing an IVF cycle 
should sit down with a mental health professional. Not because you're crazy or because you're too stressed or whatever, but just simply to talk about, you know, how are you doing, how are you coping, what's working for you, what's not working for you. This is what you can expect from this treatment cycle. And if you breeze through it and do great, you know, no loss. But if you're really struggling or if the cycle doesn't work and you're feeling really sad or anxious, you've met somebody, you've connected with them, you can go talk to them about how hard this is. Because I agree wholeheartedly. In, in, infertility is really hard. You know, I published a paper about 20 years ago showing that women with infertility had the same level of anxiety and depression as did women with cancer, AIDS, or heart disease. And there have been several studies since then that have shown that women with infertility express the same distress as cancer patients. So, you know, I think most people going through infertility keep on getting the message, oh, it's not that bad, suck it up, it's just, you know, you're you're being ridiculous, when in fact the urge to procreate is the strongest instinct in the animal kingdom. And so, of course, if you can't get pregnant, you're going to be angry and depressed and anxious. That's It's it's a absolutely ridiculous assumption to think that people can handle this on their own because it's really hard, and men and women don't handle it the same way. And so here you have these happily married couples who then go through infertility and, you know, the husband and wife aren't feeling the same way about it, and that causes a lot of stress. So I think everybody should check in with somebody, a mental health professional, just at once, just to have a reality check. I mean, half the time I'm saying to people, you know what, I think you're doing great. Like, I don't know if I can use the word here, so I won't, but infertility is really hard. And all the support you can get is something that you should try. You want to say infertility sucks, and yes, I do. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. Because, you know, when I was writing the book, which is now called Conquering Infertility, we were, and I say discussing in quotes, we were really fighting over what to call the book. And I remember calling my editor, and, and like I had one of these like inspiration, either in the middle of the night or in the shower, I don't remember. And I called her and I said, I've come up with a great title for the book. And she said, what? And I said, Infertility Sucks. And there was a bit of a pause and she goes, let's talk about your book tour. <laughs> so and it's interesting. There actually is a book out there called Infertility Sucks. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah, I've done. I think I've I've blogged with it. I have a blog with that title as well. Yeah, I mean it's hard. I mean there are some people who do great, who just handle it really well, whose partner you know, and they handle it well, who have family support, who get you know. I'm not saying that everybody is brought down by infertility because I spend a lot of time telling people, wow, I think you're handling this really well. Um, but if you're not handling it really well, it means one thing. It means you are a normal, healthy person because most people can't handle it. Well, and and handling it well doesn't mean you're not in pain. You know, right. it, it, it would be nice to say that we could, you know, we we could take away the pain. We can't. And you know, one thing I was going to mention. It, one of the other reasons that people don't seek help or or seek group or seek group support is that there are very few groups exist and and hence the beauty i mean if you're living in a major metropolitan area and even then quite frankly not all of them in fact very many of them do not have it i'd say the majority don't but you know in person support but herein comes the the beauty of online support there's been some really fascinating research published over the last 10 years about how effective online support groups can be. So it's not a one-size-fit-all. Um, and the beauty of online support is that, number one, the 24-7 and the lack of you know geographic restrictions. 
but also you may not know people in your immediate circle of friends currently mm-hmm. going through infertility, but I guarantee there's a couple of million on them online and and you can connect with some of them so i just and i say that as somebody who runs a moderated peer-to-peer uh online support group uh which let me mention now let me give out that that information um we would uh we welcome new members it is an online support group it is currently a closed group on facebook uh we uh, it's very supportive we would love to have you join us and you can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash creating a family or you can just type in the words creating a family in the search box and the group will pop up as well as our page so you can like the group and uh, like the page and join the group it is a closed group so you will have to apply uh, not apply just click join and we have to approve you before you will join and we will make sure that you have some connection to this to the world of infertility or adoption so anyway just a, a something to to throw out then let me uh we got a couple of questions um they're both uh well actually there are three of them and they're quite long um but they're they all are around uh, uh issues surrounding the holidays um that's particularly relevant because we are hard at work right now on a multimedia e-guide on actually titled Surviving the Holidays Without a Child, uh, a multimedia guide for those trying to conceive or adopt. So, uh, and we start seeing a lot more uh, chatter uh, and we get a lot more questions submitted to us this time of year, usually a little further. I suspect it happened now. Um, but we did a survey of, because you were going to be on the show, we did a survey a number of years ago, like two years ago, I believe, on which holidays were the most stressful. And and as you would imagine, Christmas and, and Hanukkah come very very high to the top. But, in fact, I believe, I have to remember now, but surprisingly, Halloween is, is also a very uh, 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 stressful holiday for the infertile, or maybe not surprisingly to you, but surprising to others, and then Thanksgiving and, and Easter as well. So I'm actually surprised talk. Mother. I'm surprised Mother's Day wasn't wasn't in the top. It. Uh, I'm not looking at the survey right. I'm not looking at our results right now. It was. Um, I believe Halloween might have been higher. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not 100 percent sure. So I. I tell you what. I will link to that survey in the blog tomorrow. Uh, uh, so that we can. Uh, so that for people who are wondering, because I do find it. Um, I found it really fascinating and. and it made sense after I thought about it. It's it's very child-focused things. But let's stop for a moment and let's talk some about the holidays. Why are the holidays in general, in general particularly troublesome for the infertile? Well, I think one is people tend to mark off time by, for example, Christmas. So I've had, you know, so many patients say, oh, man, this is our second Christmas without a baby. We never thought we'd get to two Christmases and not have a baby. I think that's one thing. Another is, you know, these holidays focus on kids. I mean, I know that Christmas and Hanukkah are both supposed to have religious significance, but the fact is these holidays focus very much on children, as does Halloween. I mean, every five minutes your doorbell rings and there are a bunch of little, you know, cute little witches and war, war oh, and whatever, Facebook, you know. Exactly, and Facebook is full of everybody posting pictures of yes. their kids' costume yes. and that type of stuff, yeah. So, you know, you have these holidays that are totally focused on children, and so the couple going through infertility just completely left out, and that's a constant reminder. And number three, they're around 
family members who may not be very diplomatic. You know, you get, you know, Uncle Tony who have a couple beers in him and he'll start saying, you know, where are the babies? Or you have, you know, your grandparents saying, or your parents saying, you know, when are you going to make me a grandparent? And so I have a lot of my patients who don't want to go home for holidays. They don't want to deal with people asking them why they don't have kids. They don't want to be around their siblings who do have children. They don't want to be around pregnancy announcements, which I, I think is totally normal. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, yeah, amen. Is it ever totally normal? So what are some uh, what are some tips for people to handle stress during the holidays? And then, and then I'm going to, and then we'll talk about, general handling if there's anything in addition that's not specific to the holidays we can we can talk about that too but i suspect that handling stress um it doesn't necessarily change you just need to be more proactive perhaps during the holidays so so we we've got the holiday season is soon uh, upon us uh, uh halloween rolls right into thanksgiving which rolls right into hanukkah or christmas and uh so we are we are in the season so what can people who are um, actively trying to conceive or are struggling with trying to conceive, or I will add adopt at this point as well, what can they do uh, to handle, other than, you know, uh, uh, book a ticket to, to, to Tahiti, which may not be a bad idea for two months? I, I, I've actually had a lot of patients book a ticket to something. I mean, I think yeah, well, in fact, that, that is one that we should mention, um, yeah. per- perhaps not for it's two months, however. <laughs> Well, I, I think that you need to sort of sit back and think, okay, what about this upcoming holiday bothers me? And so, for example, if being home and having little kids ring your doorbell on Halloween is hard for you, then, you know, I'm not kidding, put a bowl of candy on the front steps, put a sign that says, please take one, and go to the movies. I mean, you don't have to be home for Halloween or turn off your light. I mean, that, we have a, a lot of people on our trick-or-treating route that aren't home. So you can do that. You can protect yourself. And, you know, a year or two from now when you're building your family, when you're pregnant or you've adopted, then you can hand out as much candy as you want. But there's nothing that says you can't take some time now to take care of yourself. I would say for Christmas or Hanukkah, if watching babies and kids open their presents is hard for you, then don't be there for the present opening. You know, do something as a couple in the morning and then join the family for a meal. You know, you have to be self-protective. You know, people who love you are going to understand that if you can't be there, if it's too much for you, you just can't be there. Or, you know, I I saw a patient yesterday who is a a person in her life that she doesn't like at all, who's pregnant and being incredibly obnoxious about it, and is having a baby shower this weekend. And I said to my patient, man, isn't it a shame that on Saturday morning – you're going to wake up and you're going to have this terrible stomach bug. <laughs> and, you know, and she, you know, she's not going to go. She's going to call and say, I'm really sorry. I can't get out of the bathroom. And you think a pregnant woman's going to want her nearby? Absolutely not. So there's nothing wrong with, with just protecting yourself. And, it, you know, for this year, however long you're going through this journey. Um, to, or, you know, or tell people. If you feel close to family and friends, and you can say, look, this is just too hard for me right now. All right, so so one suggestion is to take off and and literally um, mm-hmm. don't show up at, at Thanksgiving. You know, take a schedule a, a vacation at Thanksgiving, schedule a vacation, and for whatever your winter holiday is, if you have one. Uh, so just just literally don't be there, um, and that and give yourself permission 
to do that. Uh, so that's one option. And, and I would add that when you are taking off and scheduling a vacation, you know, treat yourself to something that is adult-oriented in the sense of, you know, that once you, if, if you are successful, and hopefully you will be and, and will someday have a, have a family, do something that, is, that you're not going to be able to do with children. So right. it's uh, something to, to doubly look forward to, take advantage of your childless status at this point. Um, you know, don't go to Disney World or something. No, uh, do one of the, there are a lot of resorts that are couples-only resorts or, you know, go to R-rated movies or go to restaurants <laughs> that are don't encourage kids. There are lots of places that couples can go. Right. So so one option for for, for um, people who are struggling it, over the holidays is just to take off. What are, it, assuming can I just that... Add, by the way, that if, if you're a single woman, you know, there are other things that you can do. There are, there are adult single cruises. There are lots of places. It's not just if you're a couple that you can take off. If you're a single woman going through infertility, there are places where you can go, or if you have a friend who's going through infertility, the two of you go off together somewhere. You don't have to be yeah, alone on the holiday. Yeah, that's a very good point. So uh, one option is to take off. What are some other things? Let's say that either you can't you can't afford to take a vacation for every holiday, and or uh, for whatever reason that's not something you're. Uh, I will say that one of the kind of one of the cruelties, uh, one of the many cruelties associated with, or one of the many things that makes infertility suck is trying to save money because they're paying out of pocket for their right. expenses. And so um, I had somebody. Uh, uh, we have recommended this before about taking a vacation, and and she sent an email, and I thought it was or I left a comment on the blog. I can't remember which, but it was it was well pointed. And she said, you know, that sounds all fine and good, but here's the reality: every penny that we save is is increasing our odds of, right. of getting pregnant, or if if that's not successful, adopting. So you know, you can do a, you can do a staycation. You can do a staycation. You know, you don't have to be with your family on these holidays. The two of you can come up with special things that are just the two of you. You can celebrate Christmas at home, the two of you. Start your own traditions. You know, go through each of your family traditions, choose the ones you like, and start, you know, start the ones that that you want to have. So you don't have to go someplace. You can stay home and, you know, eat ice cream sundaes for breakfast if that's what you want to do. You know, another option that um, I think really feels good to a lot of people is to choose that time to give back. Um, if you are helping others in some way, it is harder to be self-focused and, and, and feel sorry for yourself. And I'm not in any way being critical because I think that there's a time for feeling sorry for yourself and infertility is certainly that time. But um, a lot of like uh, homeless shelters are actively seeking people to volunteer during that time. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of things, yep. soup kitchens, um, things like that that are uh, actually it's a huge need for most of them to find people who can volunteer over the holidays. So that's a thought. And being uh, with people less fortunate than you makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah, exactly. It, and I felt bad saying that because it, it seems like you well, we should give for other reasons, but the truth is it does it does it takes your mind off yourself and you do end up feeling right. better. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. It, it doesn't sound like that's a very um, altruistic way of putting it, but it's No, but it, 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 there's a lot of research to show that people who volunteer feel a lot much less anxious and depressed because they feel mm-hmm. better about themselves. Yeah. And I guarantee there are a lot of opportunities um 
it, you know, it might be animal shelter. It might be just you, know, you find what is appealing to you, what you care about, and uh, and uh, and specifically set up time during the holiday season. And it gives you an excuse for um, bypassing some of the events that you don't want to go to. You can right. say, without lying, you can actually say, I'm yep. busy. So let's say that uh, all these ideas sound good, but yet you would be very sad if you didn't partake of the holidays with some of your family. So you want you want to be involved in some portion of the of the holidays. What then? You don't want to you don't want to just uh uh either staycation or vacation um uh, the whole time away or can't afford to. So what are the um what are some thoughts too about how to survive the family gathering aspect of the holidays? Well, you know, one is is just to be aware that you can go take a nap, you can take a walk, you can get away from the chaos. The other is, you know, what I tell my patients is I want you to think about the things that people say to you that really bug you and come up, memorize some snappy comeback lines. Because I know for me, I was doing an event a couple weeks ago and someone asked me a really very nasty question or she responded in a very nasty way. And literally the next day, I thought, ah, this is how I should have responded. Because <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think on my feet, especially if someone's nasty to me. I'm usually caught way off guard, and I don't me know too. how to handle it. And it's, but if you know the comments, so I'm actually going to another event in a few weeks, and the same person's going to be in the audience. I know that, and so I'm already memorizing some snappy comeback lines. So if she says, you know, a, I know what to how to answer her that may, you know make me look a little more competent and assertive. Um, but I think when you're going through infertility, you know what people say that bugs you. Like, you know, when are the two of you going to you know, give me some grandchildren or you know, whatever it is, you know, and think of some snappy comeback lines. And the snappy comeback lines that you memorize can be informative. They can be, you know, educational. They can be humorous. Like, you know, we're waiting to see how the dog turns out. Um, or they can sort of zap the person back. You know, we're having so much fun practicing that, you know, we yeah. haven't done it in every room yet. You know, that'll shock, shock Aunt Esther, you know, <laughs> um, and that'll shut her up. So it I'm depends on. To... Go ahead. You know, I think it depends on who's asking the question and how the question's being asked. But I would memorize a variety of answers so that you always feel prepared. And we can help with that. We uh, had a contest a few years ago for exactly that, or maybe it was last year, uh, snappy compact lines to when are you going to have kids was the question that we uh, asked. So we had a huge response, and uh, we I think there's 10 uh, real answers, which kind of cover the, the gambit of, of um, a, a polite to uh, trying to put them in your place. But then we had so many really hilarious, snarky ones that we did a separate one uh, for snarky uh, comebacks. Not that we're necessarily encouraging, um, although <laughs> you, you, there there are certainly some people. Perhaps the person in your audience would have deserved a um, one of the snarky ones. But we will. I will link to um, these in the blog tomorrow. Uh, the um, both the the, the real uh, comebacks that you as well as the, the the snarky comebacks. So yes, having that, having something in your back pocket that you can pull out to answer the questions, um, you know, is is immensely helpful. All right. So and then and then you also mentioned 
um, taking a break. You don't have to uh, be, you know, the kitchen needs to be clean, so, you know, you might want to go in there uh, and score brownie points, uh, uh, cleaning up the uh, noontime meal so that you can go to bed early so you have to clean up the evening meal, that type of thing or taking a, a a walk with your uh husband or your um or your mom if she's a supportive person. So yes, yeah, so taking a break. Any other thoughts for you're you're going to be around family or you're choosing to be around family? Um snappy comebacks is one of them. Any other thoughts on how to handle that stress that is is in, just inherent in these type of gatherings when you're in first? You can you can do pre preemptive work. And basically send an email out to people who are going to be there or ask your mom to do it and to say, you know what, please don't ask us about our family building plans. You know, I've actually had events like that where someone has emailed ahead of time saying, please don't talk about it or please don't wear perfume or whatever. You know, and I think that if you feel comfortable doing that, it's, it's, it's preventive, it's prophylactic. You're keeping people from asking you about it. Yeah. Uh, There's nothing wrong with being assertive and protecting yourself during this crisis. And there's a difference between being assertive and being aggressive. And and sometimes our audience, uh, not our audience, I mean your audience, whoever you're sending the, the family members you're sending this to, uh, might mistaken assertiveness for aggressiveness. But you don't need to do that. You don't have to play. No, you don't need to be nasty. You don't need to say, you know, and Esther, you're you're a B word for asking me this. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying yeah, simply exactly. be assertive, just saying this is a really hard time for us. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah. That's yes, and and just being honest with your struggles. But what about people who are hesitant to be honest? Is is this a time they need to get over that? They need to a lot no, of no, people. No, no, no. I think a people, lot of people have never told anyone in their family, and that's okay. You know what? That's okay. There are a lot of people that have never told anybody in their family because they feel this is very private. They don't want to talk about it. You know, I think you you tend to see that a lot if it's male factor. That you know, men don't want to talk about what's going on. And that's okay. If that's the decision that two of you have made and you're both comfortable with that, then, you know, you can just sidestep the issue and say, you know, say whatever you want. I don't think you owe an explanation to anybody. So if you don't want to tell people, you don't have to. And, you know, the fact is, you know, to tell or not to tell, is bit, it's like an age-old question. Do you tell your boss? Do you tell your friends? Do you tell your family? Because if if you tell them, then you're leaving yourself open to comments and suggestions. And if you don't tell them, they wonder what the heck is wrong with you. And it's the same thing that my patients, when they get pregnant, say, do I tell before the end of the first trimester? And it's a tough call because if you tell and then you have a miscarriage, then you have to tell everybody you've had a miscarriage. On the other hand, if you don't tell and have a miscarriage, you need to then tell people you just miscarried, you'll catch them off guard, and you probably won't get the kind of support you need. So or a, people don't tell anyone they've had a miscarriage, but then they they don't have the community support for for grieving, uh, and and there's something to say for although you may not get it with a miscarriage, but uh, assuming you would get that, there's something to say for uh, letting people know that you are in pain and that you've experienced a loss. Right. It is. It's a real, but, but it's a real catch twenty two. If you don't tell people you're pregnant, and then oh by the way I just miscarried. I don't think they're going to pull themselves together versus if they know you're pregnant and then you tell them you've miscarried. I think then it becomes yeah, much more real for them. I mean, yeah. I'm a believer, you know, I'm a, maybe because I'm a shrink, I'm a much more open person, but I, in fact, had a miscarriage of my second pregnancy. And I told everybody I was pregnant as soon as I found out, and then I had a miscarriage. And I was shocked not only how much support I got, but how many of my friends told me they had had a miscarriage 
which I had not known before. Mm-hmm. I think it's a real common reaction. And and it's a common reaction with infertility as well. When people, I'm not saying everyone has this experience, but when people open up uh, that they are, are are not getting pregnant and they want to, I mean, even if they don't go into the, the specifics of their personality, um, many times they're they're surprised by the number of people who come forward and say, even your old Aunt Esther or whatever about mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that they too, um, it took them a long time to get pregnant um, or, or struggle with infertility or went through IVF or something like that. And uh, it's, um, I've seen that happen, and it's, then you feel less alone. But as you said, well, that, yeah, that's look, a, at, look at your family tree. You know, if there are any couples who never had kids, and it's more than 20 or 30 years ago, there's a very good chance they had infertility. I remember talking to my best friend from growing up, and like in mid-sentence we were discussing some of our neighbors, and I thought, oh, my gosh. Those two couples never had kids. They must have had infertility. <laughs> and as yeah. a kid, you don't think about this. But mm-hmm. now, you know, you think, wait a minute. You know, they used to hang out with our neighbor kids all the time. They were probably craving some kind of connection with children. But, yeah, if, you, if aunts or uncles, you know, I remember my, my husband looked at a family tree, and he realized he had had, like, three or four great aunts or uncles who never had kids. And I'm like, wow, you know, there was some infertility there. Yep, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and we don't think about that. I, as you were saying that, I was mentally going through my family tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, um, and so it, the reality is, there are going to be some people in our family who just aren't going to get it, um, or maybe. I mean, I, I, I can hope that that is not the case, but, but. Chances are good in most families there are people who just don't get it. Um, and other than just avoiding those people or and, and, uh, and allowing those who, are, who do get it and are supportive to help run interference, any thoughts on how to deal with those people? Well, I think one thing that people don't really think about is sibling rivalry never dies. Yeah. And so if a sibling has the first grandchild, you know, and they're feeling very competitive with you and very victorious and feel like to shove it in your face, um, I think that is something just you're going to have to figure your way around. I mean, I, I've seen it firsthand that a younger sibling has the first grandchild and is extremely insensitive to their older sibling going through infertility. And like, ha ha, I had the first kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, is is that nice behavior? Absolutely not. Is it appropriate? Absolutely not. To the couple going through infertility, feel extremely hurt and betrayed. Yes. Um, unfortunately, that's the way families are. And the, the fact is, you know, what can you do to protect yourself? Can you avoid family events? Can you see your parents separately from your siblings? However, you need to work it. But people behave badly. People are competitive. People are insensitive. You know, a lot of people feel like infertility is, is not a big deal. And, you know, you can either educate or you can avoid. Yeah, okay, that's good. So, yeah. <laughs> and and both are okay. Uh and there's some people who avoidance is just simply going to be the the preferred route. You know, another uh thing that you're a big believer in and so am I and that is self-care. Um where does self-care come in in particular during the holidays uh and the stress of going through the holidays um desperately wanting a child and not having one? Well, you need to sort of sit back again and think, what about the holidays really pushes my buttons? You know, don't go to the mall on Saturday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because you're going to see a zillion kids sitting in line waiting to see Santa. Go shopping at 8 or 9 at night. 
you know, where you're not going to see children. Um, if you have a lot of young kids to buy stuff for, don't walk into Babies R Us or Toys R Us. You know, go online, go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or whatever and buy each kid a bunch of books that you liked when you were a kid. You know, avoid, you know, putting yourself through the pain of having to be in one of these baby stores. Um, you know, again, if present opening is something that really bothers you, don't show up for present opening. Show up for the meal. You know, bring a bottle of wine. You know, do what it takes to help yourself through it. I can't tell somebody what pushes their buttons during the holidays. You need to think about what it is that bugs you and, and basically figure out an escape route. And it's not going to be forever. It's not like you're going to miss present opening for the next 50 years. You're going to miss present opening, you know, until you have a family of your own. And then you're going to dive in just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things you talk about uh in the book. Oh, hang on a minute. Let me uh, before I do that, I need to uh mention another uh something with uh, that we're going to be talking about. If you have been touched and have been helped by creating a family, this show or our uh, one of our many many resources that we have on our website creatingafamily.org or our online support community uh or any of our online networks, we would ask that you make a donation to help support uh our organization. Um, we are a nonprofit, and we rely on uh, those people whom we've helped to uh, keep us afloat and allow us to keep on keeping on, so to speak. Uh, we're currently in the midst of an appeal uh, in honor of our one million, uh, reaching the one million listeners uh, milestone for this show. We need help reaching the next one million, and we'd like for you to be a part of that. Uh, there, you can uh, pay online via credit card, or you can mail us. We are a uh, open opportunity. We'll take your money any way we can get it. So, you can go to our website, creatingafamily.org. At the top, uh, there's a tab for donate. Click on that, and it will take you to our donate page. And we will be most appreciative of of that. Um, now, back to our interview with Dr. Ali Domar. We're talking about conquering infertility. One of the things that I was thankful to see that you covered in the book, Conquering Infertility, is the financial stress caused by infertility and its treatment. The I think you referred to it as the business of infertility, which I like, because it is a necessary evil, but for many people, um, in fact, the majority of people, uh, infertility treatment is uh, does create financial stress. Um, let's talk some about that and and ways that uh, people can uh, handle the financial aspect and the business aspect and the stress caused by infertility associated with the, the financial and business aspects. Well, there's an old saying amongst therapists that the top three reasons couples fight are money, sex, and kids. And infertility encompasses all three. Um you know, especially, you know, most couples going through fertility tend to be younger. They tend to be relatively newly married, and a lot of them don't have financial security. And, you know, infertility treatment is expensive. It's very hard to walk into an IVF cycle knowing that this is, could cost you $15,000 and it has maybe, what, a 35% chance of giving you a baby. And you may not agree about what treatment to have. You may not agree how many cycles to undergo. You, one of you may want to save for adoption or egg donation, um, so it, it it can cause a lot of friction. And again, you know, I'm not here to to give plugs to mental health professionals, but I think if you're disagreeing about money, then you need to sit down with sort of a third, uh, an impartial third party, to help you figure out what your plans are. I've seen lots of couples go into debt, 
And, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, begging to parents. Now, go to your parents. Like, how much do you want to be grandparents? You need to pony up some money here. If either of your parents have any financial resources, then I don't see any reason why you can't ask them to help you out. I mean, most parents are highly motivated to become grandparents. I have a patient I'm still struggling with who have, has a very, very wealthy sibling. Um, my patient can't afford to undergo treatment, and she's just feeling way too shy and hesitant to talk to her sibling about you know, getting her some money. And, in fact, the sibling is so well off, the money for a cycle won't touch this person. And yet my patient just feels too shy about doing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's very frustrating for me because, you know, I would think, most family members, if they have enormous resources, would not mind helping somebody out to have well-deserved medical treatment. But, you know, you do have to be careful. We had a couple years ago who didn't have the money for a cycle and went to both sets of parents. Both sets of parents had resources, so they either set of parents could pay for the cycle. So one set of parents refused, and the other set of parents gave the couple the money to do an IVF cycle. And, in fact, the cycle worked and they got pregnant. Well, lo and behold, the parents who had given the money maintained that they should have more contact with the baby than the other set of grandparents because they had paid for it. Mm-hmm. And so that was clearly an unforeseen complication. And, it, you know, it was a little messy for a while. Borrowing money is rife with unforeseen mm-hmm. consequences. It's something to be very aware of. Uh, let me put in a plug, too, for I think that if you are asking uh, for money from a family member, I think it really helps if you have are already on a plan for saving money yourself. And we did a show uh, last year uh, with the with uh, uh, Dave Ramsey. The, 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 he has a program, and it's a really strong and a really well set up program for how you can get control of your finances and, in specific, how you can save money for something. And um, I will try. I'll remember to link to this in the blog as well. It's a it's a great show, and uh, and even if you are going to be uh, borrowing money and asking for money for family, it's a good good program to think through, get control of your budget, and actively work towards savings because if nothing else, it may up your odds of people wanting to lend you money. Or, yeah, know, I wasn't even thinking about lending money. I was thinking about parents giving you money. I meant, I meant when I said that, I thought about it. I yeah, don't mean lending yeah. you, but giving yeah. you money, right. Because the last thing a couple needs if they get pregnant is to have yes. to owe 15000 because you know what? Your expenses just go straight up once you have a baby. Exactly. So if, if you're, and again, if your parents don't have resources, obviously that's, it's not fair to ask them. But if your parents do have resources, then, you know, people are always hesitant to ask. But it's not like you're asking for money so you can go to Paris for the weekend. You're asking for medical treatment to increase your chances of building a family. Mm-hmm. But you do need to be prepared for them not giving you the money and, and the impact that that might have. Because one of the things we aren't, we don't always know. Uh, we assume that our parents have the resources, but we don't know if they they feel like they do, or they, we don't know uh, where they're at as far as their savings for their retirement and their financial security and stuff. And some people just don't believe in giving money. And so whatever reason, yes. we have to be prepared um, to... And I've, had, uh, and I've had patients, in fact, in that situation where you know their parents were taking luxurious vacations and driving beautiful cars. And then yet when my patients asked for money, the parents said, actually, we, we basically spend everything that comes in. Yeah. And, you know, did that hurt my patient's feeling? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
do I think that the parents could have spent their money in wiser ways? Yes, but that was yeah. the parents' money and it's their decision. Right, and that's the, and that is and that but that's hard. Uh, it is the parents' money and it is their decision, but uh, it's hard not to be hurt. And, and you've got to, you know, think through. But yeah, but I would. I'm with you. I would certainly think that um, there. Are, if you, I guess you could take the approach that says if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So right, um, right, yeah, yeah. So you well, are listening. I've had patients. I've had patients get money from obscure places like their great aunt Esther. You know, if you if you need money for treatment, you know, make sure family members know because people might have stuff squirreled away you don't know about. That's yeah. That's true. And. And, and and you can always you just need to as long as you know that the answer might be no, uh, and you can consciously be proactive in trying to not let that affect your relationship. But uh, your great aunt Esther might very well uh, want to to lend money to what a worthy cause, and particularly if give, if, give money, not lend money, give money. Yeah, oh, yeah. Please. Sorry, yes, because yes. you're right. We don't need the lending. Give money. Right. Give money to a worthy cause. You are listening to Creating a Family, and today we're talking with Dr. Ali Domar about conquering infertility. I'd like to take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their very generous support that we could bring you this show and all the resources at Creating a Family. We have Fairfax Cryobank. Fairfax has been a leader in sperm donation for over 20 years and is dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors, only one and 200 applicants make it through the screening process to become a donor. We have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to assisted reproductive law and adoption. They include providing gestational surrogacy matching program as well as legal services for independent surrogacy, egg donation, and embryo donation. And we have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They are a pioneer in offering embryo donation and adoption services to clients throughout the world through their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. They recently celebrated the birth of their 400th baby. Allie, a while back you had, I think it was a book or it might have been an article talking, saying, I think the title was Six Steps to Conquering Infertility. Um, so what are the six steps uh, that to conquer infertility? It was actually, I think it was Six Steps to Increasing Fertility. Um, oh. It was a Harvard Medical book. Um, you know, the book came out so long ago. I think it was basically talking about there were probably five steps for male and female treatment, and the whole mind-body connection was the sixth step, and which was pretty impressive because the lead author of that book was Robert Barbieri, who is the chairman of OBGYN at Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is one of the biggest Harvard teaching hospitals, and he's an infertility specialist, and he invited me to be one of the co-authors of the book. So it's pretty impressive that Harvard Medical School, you know, recognized the mind-body connection. Yeah, as way being, back. As, way back even as being a really crucial aspect of infertility treatment. You can't ignore the mind. And it goes back to, you know, stress clearly hampers treatment outcome. The fact is we know because psychological interventions are associated with significant increases and pregnancy rates. So I, I think everybody going through infertility should be doing something. And even if it's, you know, doing yoga or taking mindful walks, they should be doing something to relieve their own stress. And while you're mentioning it, let's, let's list some specific things people can do. You've just mentioned two of them, yoga, um, mindful walks. I'm not familiar with that. I, I can imagine what it is. 
um, it, just a plain old walk, would that count? Or no, not a, plain, not, not a plain old walk where you're listening to music or chatting with a friend. A mindful walk is, is in effect being mindful. You know, what can you hear? What can you see? What can you feel? What can you smell? Follow the cadence of your feet. Follow the cadence of your breath. Um, it's being in the moment. And the concept of mindfulness is, you know, that we are very rarely in the here and now. We're either, you know, obsessing or regretting over something in the past or we're worrying about the future. And I, I think most people with infertility worry a lot about the future. Like, will I ever be happy if I don't have a biological child? Mm-hmm. So there, there are lots of things. You know, one thing I wanted to mention, because you were saying that, you know, I was saying mind-body programs are actually very effective in decreasing distress and increasing pregnancy rates. And you were saying that a lot of your listeners don't live in a big metropolitan area that offers mind-body programs. No, no, I said, a, I said in-person support groups, because I think oh, okay. more and more clinics are offering, well, I hope they are. Maybe I should, um, how many are offering mind-body? That would be a good question. Not, not enough. I can tell you that, <laughs> not enough. But I have a graduate yes. student at the University of Vermont, and she basically took my mind-body program and created an, created an online version of it. So if anybody is interested in participating, it's a randomized controlled study we're recruiting right now. And so there's a um, an email address. It's onlinemindbody at uvm.edu. So onlinemindbody, one word, at uvm.edu. And it's really interesting because I've been watching everybody who is enrolled in this study. And, you know, people are doing well. You have a 50-50 chance of getting a free online mind-body program. I will link to that, and, and Allie, something else, and we'll talk about this after the show. I, we can also help her recruit. We have a really extensive audience, and so we can, um, uh, we'll put it up on our site and then link to that and, and, and might be able to help her recruit. So I'll, I'll talk to you later. I'll try to remember to talk to you later about that. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so we've got, um, you're right, so online MindBody, that's fascinating. Um, many clinics or some clinics do have mind body programs mm-hmm. um something to think about when choosing a clinic i would add um <laughs> I'm what so else glad you said that <laughs> yeah. what else uh uh yoga yes so what else can uh people do uh, I, I some of these would fall under self care and some of these would just you know fall into just good uh, uh practices in general so what else can people do uh, well, you know, along I, these split lines. It, I split it into physical approaches and psychological approaches. So physical are relaxation techniques, mini relaxation techniques, appropriate nutrition, and moderate exercise. I mean, literally taking a walk can probably decrease your stress more than anything you can do other than maybe IV Valium. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then psychologically, you know, one thing we talk about is challenging automatic negative thought patterns. You know, the I will, I will never have a baby or I'll never be happy unless I have a baby social support, emotional expression, self-nurturance, and combating perfectionism. Um, Any of those things are going to help you feel better. I mean, the the thing that breaks my heart is there's so many people out there going through infertility who don't avail themselves of all the resources out there. I mean, you look at what Resolve offers. You know, on their website, there's tremendous numbers of resources. There's so much out there for people Mm -hmm. going through infertility, and most of them never avail themselves of anything. And they, they feel alone and afraid and miserable and there's so much out there that can help them feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and to a certain extent, it's a simply a matter of of reaching out and availing yourself of it. And and it's 
And it's a, it's a, a smorgasbord that you can choose. Yeah, so you, you feel like this is not something, this specific technique is not something for me. But there may be another one that will that you should try or that you would feel more open to trying. Yeah, think of it as a buffet. You don't have to eat everything. Eat the yeah. stuff you like. So try yeah. the stuff you think will work for you. And I would say that a great place to start is with the book, Conquering Infertility. Uh, it's by our guest, Dr. Alice Domar, as well as Alice Kelly and uh, co-authors. And so, I, I mean, it, it, uh, much of what we talked about today is in there. I also uh, really loved the book, uh, Be Happy Without Being Perfect. It's not directly relevant, I mean, it's not directly specific only to infertility, but so much of the information there was, uh, it would be, just very relevant to that. And, and actually, you know what I should link to? There was a show that it's when, it was a very popular show um, that we did uh, with you a number of years ago, and it's um, Being Happy, um, I, think it's, I think the title is like Being Happy While Infertile, uh, or something along those lines. And it was a, an amazingly popular show, as you would imagine, and I will link to that in our uh, in our blog tomorrow as well. I've said all these things I'm going to link to. Let's see if my uh, my notes and <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, well, help me. If not, you guys can uh, go to the website and search uh, and find that. And if you have enjoyed the show and you want to help us grow, do us a favor and rate this podcast on iTunes. We are the number one show uh, on iTunes for the topics of infertility and adoption, and we, uh, by far, we are, and we would like to stay there. And the way uh, in uh, uh, iTunes knows whether to recommend us is through the rating system. It's a star rating system, although you can also leave a written comment. You can just go to iTunes and type in the words creating a family and you can click on ratings there or you can go to the radio page of our website and click on iTunes and it will take you there. And that's creatingafamily.org slash radio show. Don't forget, if you uh, have been touched in some way, and if you've listened to this show, uh, you have been touched in some way, leave us a comment and enter to win the uh, one of the four Amazon gift cards. Um, that's to celebrate our one millionth listener celebration, or to celebrate the reaching the milestone of one millionth listener. Thank you so much, Dr. Daly. Dr. Daly, what was that? Where'd that come from? <laughs> Dr. Ali Domar, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. I am going to blog on one of the topics of this show tomorrow, so you can check it out, and as well as all the things that we've mentioned that we would, uh, I'm going to be linking to that we talked about. Um, to get more information about Dr. Domar on all of her books, as well as on her cutting-edge mind-body uh, program, you can go to her website, which is domarcenter.com. That's D-O-M-A-R-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Uh, and she's got lots of resources there for you. And thank you for joining us, and I will see you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. 
and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.